Good morning. That song, Yes, I Will, I think it's kind of a theme song for us in James. If you're visiting with us, we're starting the book of James and kind of enjoying the journey through it. And the main theme is that, yes, I will choose joy. I was commenting to someone in the lobby today that, you know, I planned this series about six months ago having no idea the kind of trials that we'd be facing today. And I said, you know, I think God has a sense of humor because while I'm preaching this, I'm preaching this more at myself than you. And I got to study it all week. So it's kind of there every single day because a lot of times I don't want to choose joy. (laughs) You know, I want to try to fix the trial, fix the circumstance. But, uh, Other people have been saying the same kind of thing, that they're just kind of in the midst of some pretty heavy stuff right now. You can turn to James chapter 1. We're going to turn there in a moment. We're going to start verse 5 through 8 this week. We're talking about trials in our lives. They're diverse. They come at us. But one of the trials we haven't considered yet is when there's an opportunity facing you that you know will create a trial in your life, what do you do? I want to talk about a pastor in St. Illinois. His name was Henry Cherokee. Now, his name is pronounced that way, but it's spelled G-E-R-E-C-K-E, if you look it up sometime. Father, three sons. During the war with Germany, two of his sons signed up for the military, so he decided he would do the same thing, and at age 50, signed up as a military chaplain. During that war, he had visited some of the darkest places like Dachau and the other concentration camps. And at the end of the war, the U.S. decided to do something they had never done before. It's during the Nuremberg trial when Hitler's top henchmen were being put on trial. The U.S. decided they would offer spiritual counseling to those evil, horrible men. And so they asked chaplain Henry Cherokee to do that. Now, he could have gone back to Illinois. He could have gone back to a comfortable church. Could have gone back and no one would have blamed him, but he accepted. He entered a dark place to offer the light of Christ. And he walked with them, including walking up to the gallows and praying for them, where they were hanged to death. Now, this was his trial that he chose. And people hated him for it. He was called all kind of names. He was condemned. People wrote, Christian people wrote that Christ should not be offered to such heinous men like these. But history tells us that eight of those men gave their hearts to Christ. And we can sit there and say, well, that's wonderful. Yes, he made the right choice. But what about the trial of opportunity that you face? What about the trials of opportunity that we face as GBC saying, we're going to walk into this. And again, he could have stayed in St. Louis. He could have pastored a nice church, but he entered this dark world with men who had done unthinkable things. And he chose the joy that was set before him to bring light to darkness. So there are trials that we have no choice. They're thrust upon us. But we have trials of choice, and sometimes they're simple choices, but sometimes it's making the right choice. 
Now, let me share my heart on this matter just for a moment. You know, I, I believe in the local church. I know in our world today, in our postmodern world, we deconstruct and we kind of critique and criticize many things. But I believe in the local church. I believe in GBC. And I believe that God uses the local church. And I believe that God uses us. And we know the church is full of sinners. Amen? If it wasn't, Christ would not have had to come to die. But we are called to be faithful to the bride of Christ. We are called to be faithful and to love his bride. And the reality of that is we're going to go through trials. They're going to exist. But no matter whether it's a trial of opportunity or a trial thrust upon us by our culture, we must choose joy. That has to be our focus. And instead of bickering, instead of whining, instead of complaining, instead of seeking revenge, that's everything that our world does. And you notice, he did not say, feel joy. He didn't say, be happy. He said, choose joy. And it's the joy that we find in the fruit of the Spirit. And it takes courage, determination, and endurance. So my admonition to you as we go through this, and James has been saying this, you know, we choose joy because we know. And we know biblical truth. And that biblical truth has to move into our experiences. So it's about moving joy into our lives in the midst of trials. And he says, you will be tested. That will bring endurance. And the endurance will help you finish the test. And you will grow up. Now he keeps this thought going. And he says, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the testing, in the midst of choosing joy, in the midst of knowing, we have to ask for the right things. Look at James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. You can follow with me on the screen or in your Bibles. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. That just means without exception. Okay? He doesn't sit there and say, well, you deserve it, you don't. No, it's you ask for it, he gives it to you. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, and you can actually include women in there too. Unstable in all his ways. So James says we have to ask in the midst of our trial for two things. We ask for wisdom, and we ask in faith. So what's wisdom? Somebody once said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart. To tell you what's wrong. And we look at our culture and we, we live in what's called a postmodern culture. And that's exactly what our culture does. They protest. They take things apart. They tell you what's wrong. And then they walk away. Wisdom, however, is the ability to put things together. Somebody once said that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. And what this means is when we ask for wisdom... What it means is there are some people who have a whole lot of knowledge, but they can't connect the dots. There are some people with biblical knowing. They can quote verses, they can recite doctrine, but they have the inability to take that and connect it to life. And this should concern us. 
We have this incredible ability to deceive ourselves, don't we? I just, for the last few days with a few men in the church, went to a conference that talked about soul care, and the main theme was about self-awareness. You know, how do we not deceive ourselves? See, we may think we know God, but the reality is we know about God, and we do not know him intimately. And there's a vast difference between the two. We have all this information about God, but we do not understand his heartbeats. And what James suggests is that we can attend all these Bible studies, we get A's on the exam, but we fail in the application of the truth to his word. Now, you've heard me say I've been doing this for a little over 40 years now, and I know too many Christians who think discipleship is all about information. It's what they know, and it's what they think they know. But discipleship is about application. It's taking God's truth, and it's bringing us down into our lives. And that's why later on, James is going to say, listen, faith without works is dead. It doesn't exist. So wisdom does two things. First, it gives us an understanding of the big picture, that when we include God and transcendence, eternal life, everything else, we stand back and we see this mosaic of life, past, present, and yet to come. Just not our own little world, our own little definitions, our own little corner. So that's the first thing wisdom does. And secondly, it gives us the ability to navigate the trial. So in light of everything we know, in light of everything that we apply to our lives, God shows us a path. Sometimes it's just one step at a time. You ever drive through a thick fog and you wish you could see 10 feet, but you can only see one foot? You just take a step at a time and God reveals where that next step is. That's what wisdom does for us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul writes these words. So to keep me from being conceited, Paul was self-aware enough that he makes this statement because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. I mean, Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. That's an unusual experience. And Paul realized that, you know what? I can be pretty cocky about that. I can be pretty arrogant and say, you know what? I met Jesus, you didn't, so you better listen to me. So to keep me from becoming conceited and arrogant and prideful, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. That's not the answer Paul was asking for, was it? He says, take this from me. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Do you think they're trials? And you know what he says? I'm content. He didn't say, I like it. He doesn't say, wow, you know, this feels good. He says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to accept it. And it's there because it keeps me humble. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me ask you this question. Do you want what God has for you or do you want what you have for you? Do you want the grace? Now you realize when you get God's grace, it's his way. It's not your way. If it's your way, it's not grace. 
Or do you want the trial to disappear? Remember how we said the trial's not the focus? Rather, choosing joy is the focus? Do you understand that it's only when you are self-aware enough to understand your weaknesses that God's strength comes through? And that's what Paul's saying here. We have five wisdom books in the Old Testament. Job, which is a book about suffering and trials. The Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The word fear there is the word respect. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know how I always say things like, please don't confuse me with the facts. (laughs) See, that's fools despising wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, my son, if you receive my words... And treasure up my commandments with you. The word treasure up has to do with bringing it into our lives. Okay. First you listen. Then you digest it. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. See, receiving wisdom is just not, okay, I know these facts. It's bringing it into our lives. Then Proverbs 11 verse 2 says this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So from the wisdom literature in the Old Testament says, number one, if we want wisdom, we have to have respect for God. And number two, we have to be humble before him. Both are needed for wisdom. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Paul writes these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We do not like to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That means, we talked about this last week, we just kind of submit over to his authority, we submit to the process, and we choose joy. Okay? It's what God wants, it's not what you want. Holding acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, there's that word testing again we saw in James 1, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, do you hear what Paul says? And and later on in Philippians chapter 2, he says, listen, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we have to have the mind of Christ. And here's what Paul says. We're all biased. You're going to be biased about the things of this world or you're going to be biased about the things of the kingdom of God. And you have two choices. You can conform or you can transform. You choose. If you conform, you're going to take trials and you're going to navigate them the way that everybody else navigates them. You're going to blame. You're going to criticize. You're going to push off. It's everybody else's fault but your own. If you're going to transform, You're going to say, I can choose joy regardless of what's happening around me. Conform to this world. Our world's materialistic. It's self-centered. It's godless. It's not easy to stand up against the prevailing wind. It's why in the church we argue over things that are all about me and my preferences and my comforts, and they have nothing to do with Jesus. 40 years of preaching. Here's what I hear. Pastor, 
I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I can't help it. And that's said by husbands and wives who have a boyfriend or girlfriend out there. They know the biblical command to stay married, but they're just like, you know what? Pastor, I don't like the way the church spends my money in the budget. Well, first of all, it's not your money, is it? And maybe I don't like the way you spend your money in your budget. Pastor, I don't like the way you preach. Do you know how many anonymous invitations I've had over 40 years to attend this or that preaching school? I'm kind of like now, I've been doing this 40 years. I don't think it's going to change. Three idols. Three idols in our culture we've talked about before. Money, sex, and power. And when they enter the church, when we conform to those idols, and we dress them up in religious clothes, they take the church down. Or, Paul says, you can be transformed by the renewing, I call it the wising up of your mind. Allow God's truth to connect to life. That's what transformation is. It's practicing what you preach. It's being able to discern And when you connect the dots between here, God's truth, and your life, here's what he says. You're going to find his will. Now, I have a lot of people say, I want to know what the will of God is. And they don't want to back up and be transformed. They just want information that's going to agree with their version of life. And he talks about his will being good, acceptable, and perfect. See, then God's strength can shine in your weakness. And when you ask God to remove this trial three times, and God says, no, you know what? You're a little cocky. He says, I'm going to leave it there because it's going to keep you humble. You say, you know what? Your grace is sufficient. And man, you shine bright in my weakness. So if you're going to choose joy when facing trials, you do not need a mind that's preoccupied with religious things. You need a wise mind that's respectful, humble, that's trained and informed by God. You need a mind where thinking leads to transformation. And then James says, ask in faith. Actually believe what's in your mind. And believing is not an intellectual sense. Believing is living it out. In Jewish culture, when you say, I believe something, it's just not up here. It's also in your life. And that's why my classic phrase is if you go to a Jewish husband and says, do you love your wife? And he says, why ask me? Ask my wife. Ask my neighbors. Ask my kids. Ask my grandkids. What do they see? Now, look at verses 6 through 8 again. We need to look at this. It says, let me ask in faith without doubting. We're going to get into that for a moment. Before I talk about being unstable, I'm going to talk about doubting. He says, if you don't, if you don't connect the dots, you will be unstable. You'll be double-minded. You won't hear. Look at verse 7. It should scare us. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And it's not the Lord's fault. It's our fault because when we turn a deaf ear to God, we don't hear. Now, let me talk about doubt for a moment. This does not mean that we do not have any questions at times in our minds. I mean, how many times do I say, I doubt this will work? 
Doubt here has to do with living it out. And let me explain it this way. Let's say that you have a situation where you really can't forgive. And you say, I I doubt that I can forgive. But you do it anyway. And you treat the person as if they are forgiven. Even when they don't deserve it. And even you don't feel like it. And even though you don't feel strong enough. Because grace is sufficient in your weakness. So understand, up here, you're going to have all kinds of doubts. But in our lives, we need to live this. You know what? I'm going to do it because I want to connect the dots. I'm going to choose joy and not the trial. I hope that makes sense because so often people say, well, I have doubts. Well, yeah, we all do. Simply to say, God's big enough to handle your questions. The point is he wants you to trust him even when your mind is telling you otherwise. And if you don't, he says, you're going to be unstable, double-minded, split personality. You want some of God. You want some of them. Some of what God wants. Some of what you want. And I hear this all the time. Pray for me, pastor. They go out and do what they want to do anyway. They want the marriage. They also want the boyfriend and girlfriend. They want the gospel, but they also want their version of church. They want the information about God. But they do not enter into the trial that will help them into intimacy with God. Now, having just said that, let me reiterate. There isn't any one of us here that wants the trial, okay? (laughs) I'm not saying, look at the trial and say, wow, I just can't wait. None of us want the trial. Jesus in the garden prayed, if it's possible, Lord, take this from me. And yet we read that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So the choice is to conform or transform. The choice is to be stable or unstable. The choice is to be single-minded or double-minded. Let me give this illustration. When you watch those big trucks going on the road, the intent is and the design is for the truck to pull the load. The truck provides the direction of the load. But you know what happens sometimes? They call it when the load shifts. And the load starts pushing the truck. And the load starts swerving back and forth. In that situation, it creates dangerous circumstances. I remember when I was working my way through college and I was driving some truck for my dad's business. And I was going down Route 99 to 441. If you know that down on Washington Borough, you know there's a T road there. And a lot of trucks for the landfill will go up 441. But there's a stop sign right at the bottom of the hill. I'm going down that hill one time, and I hit the brakes to slow down, and I watched my air brakes do this. Now, I thought, I'm okay, because if you know anything about the systems, they have backup systems. So I watched the needle go back up like this. I thought, I'm good. So I hit the brake again. What happens? And I have a very heavy load behind me, pushing me. Now I'm going down this hill. I'm trying to downshift. I'm trying to stand on brakes. I'm throwing all kinds of levers, hoping that when I go through this stop sign, I'm not T-boned by another big truck. Make it through the stop sign. Don't get hit. Then I realize that there's a slight increase railroad track than the river. Good news is, by the way, that's not the truck I rolled I talked about last week. Good news is I got to stop because I threw the emergency brake when I'm going up the hill. I didn't want to throw it when I was going down. I got to stop right on top of the railroad track and no train was coming. So I was good. 
I carefully backed it off and I called for help. See, too many Christians are letting the load push them around. They're not asking for wisdom. They're not acting in faith. They're not choosing joy. And in that moment, James says, you're not going to receive anything from God because you're double-minded, you're unstable, you got the load pushing you. Don't expect anything from God. It's not because he doesn't want to give it to you. It's because you can't receive it because you're conforming and not transforming. It's not God's fault because you shut him out. And it's time to stop playing church and be the church. And if we're not going to love what Jesus loves, then we will be powerless. So the question I want you to consider this morning is, do you want wisdom? Now be careful how you answer that because it will lead you to pass in your weaknesses that you never thought possible. It will cause you to deal with trials in a unique way, choosing joy instead of going down other kind of paths. Do you value wisdom? Wisdom's truth. And of course, with that, do you want a believing heart? Now again, be careful because he'll move your heart from conforming to transforming. And most of the things you get upset about now, they're going to no longer matter. So do you want wisdom? Do you want to have a believing heart that that moves that wisdom down into your life, that you end up choosing joy, you end up navigating life in a way that honors God? Do we want that at GBC as a church? Because if we do, God will mold and form this church. It won't be molded and conformed by what everybody else is doing. Can I get an amen on that one? (laughs) we got to honor God with who we are and not who we think we should be. Our response this morning is an act of worship that we call communion. So I'm going to invite those down to the front pew. You can get ready to help serve communion. As I do, we practice open communion here, which means anybody that believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can participate. We simply ask you to hold the cup. We partake together. We hold the bread, we partake together. But as you're doing this, here's what I want you to think about. As you come to God, do so this morning with respect and humility. Realizing everything he has is his. We call that coming before God with open hands. Everything exists because of him. In all our perceived successes, do you realize That anything of kingdom of God value that happens at GBC your life is all about him. See, we confuse sometimes because in church world, what we control is what I call manipulation of the sheep. Come here because we got a better show. But anything that God does in terms of transformation is because of who he is. That's what communion is about. So we come before him with open minds, open hands, open hearts. We come to express gratitude. And we, re, we reaffirm that, you know what? Based upon your death and resurrection, Jesus, we're going to choose joy. Amen? Amen? Let's worship in communion.